Well, I'm sure you have had sleepless nights in your life before. There are a number of things that concern us in life, and uh, sometimes we lose sleep over them. I'll tell you, one of the things that a pastor loses sleep over and has sleepless nights is when people disappear from church. Because presumably when they disappear from church, they may very well be disappearing from the Lord. I'm told that, of course, in a new cultural setting that we live in, uh, more and more people are going to be coming less and less often to church. And that's something that we're supposed to just expect and get used to. It's sort of the new Christian culture. I'm not going to be able to get used to that. And I'll tell you why, because our Creator God created the universe in six days and rested on the seventh day and established patterns and cycles and expectations for His creation. And one of those was that on that cycle of seven, there would be a reality whereby people would come together and consciously, intentionally contemplate the holy, the greatness of God. That was to be an enduring expectation, not, not a some sort of legalistic reality, but a healthy pattern that's been handed down from God to us. It seems to me that when people start to disappear from church, they start to listen less often to God. It's just natural. And when you start to listen less often to God, you start to disobey God more often. And when you disobey God more often, your heart grows hard. And when your heart grows hard, you have no longer any spiritual sensitivity to know that you're in trouble with God. And so it becomes easier and easier to drift away from God until suddenly you and God are nowhere with each other. The next study that we're going to look at is in the book of Hebrews, which has something to do with the whole idea of defection from the faith, leaving behind the truth of the gospel, disappointment, disillusionment, fear of persecution, whatever, a number of reasons. But in the book of Hebrews, the call on that book is, today if you hear the Lord, do not harden your hearts. It's a recurring theme that goes through the book of Hebrews. And by the way, the Statistics are, are not encouraging in terms of this new culture that we're living in. People drifting away from God, it doesn't paint a picture of these people become more and more spiritual and the church is growing and everything's wonderful. As people drift away from the church, they, they go home and they read their Bibles even more and pay attention to God even more. No, that, that's not what the statistics are bearing out. <clears throat> I want to share with you a <clears throat> study from, excuse me, the Francis... A. Schaefer Institute of Church Leadership Development. Now, this study, by the way, is 10 years old. I'm guessing things are not better. And, of course, it's a study that was done in the U.S., but I think it's highly possible and legitimate that we can prorate it to the Canadian context, uh, probably divide everything by 10. We're 10% of their population, and... In fact, our statistics are probably worse than stateside. But most statistics at right tells us that nearly 50% of Americans have no church home. Well, that's something. But what we're more interested in is what about the dropout reality? In the 1980s, membership in the church had dropped almost 10%. In the 90s, it worsened to another 12%. And we don't have statistics to complete the 2000 first decade in this, in this study. But listen to this. Every year, more than 4,000 churches close their doors compared to just 1,000 new church starts. That means stateside, for every 1,000 churches that are planted, 3,000 disappear. A net, a net gain, a net reality. Every year, 2.7 million church members fall into inactivity. If we extrapolate that, it's highly possible that 
that over a quarter of a million people in Canada, church-going people in Canada, are leaving the church every year. And this is not what Jesus envisioned. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So what's happening? The church is in decline. The bride of Christ is in decline. How do we explain this? What's happening? Well, it's happening in North America. Uh, Last Sunday, I was at a place where there is no decline. The 39th anniversary of Covenant Evangelical Free Church in Singapore in 1978 had 17 members celebrating their 39th or, yeah celebrating their 39th anniversary in 2017 they have 6000 members it's amazing explosive growth growth in china and asia all throughout other parts of the world russia explosive growth north america though is in trouble and it's to that that i want to give my attention for the next little while There's two angles from which this breaks my heart and troubles me and keeps me awake. One is, I love people. I love you. When you disappear, it hurts. It bothers me for you. And the second angle is accountability and responsibility. Pastorally, the people that are here are entrusted to our care by the living God. And there's accountability to that. The writer of Proverbs puts it this way in Proverbs 27, 23. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. It's an expectation from God. So it matters. Well, dropping out, disillusionment, discouragement, disappointment, and all that goes with that is not just a 2017 issue. There are cycles of history, biblically, that bear out that this is not a new thing. It's a recurring thing. In fact, um, the prophet Jeremiah was taking inventory of his situation. In Jeremiah chapter 12, I'd invite you to turn there today. Because before we launch into Hebrews, I want to set up the urgency of the book. Let me just give you a little bit of background to Hebrews because I won't do it next week. But the book of Hebrews was probably written in the 60s AD. The church was likely about 30 years old. It's likely written to the church in Rome. There is lots of evidence as you... Do the, the, the legwork, the study on the book of Hebrews. When the church came into being in the late 30s AD, it was under the, um, uh, the emperor at the time was Caligula, who was not a nice person, but... And so there was some persecution of the church, some trouble, some challenges, but not to the degree that it was going to be. You know, as we've been looking all week at the pending storms that are coming to Florida and Caribbean and the one hovering around in Mexico and all kinds of things lined up. Jose on the way, if you've been watching. You know, the National Weather Service and our scientific measurements give us so many opportunities to have a heads up and prepare. The book of Hebrews is one of those books that gives us a heads up like the National Weather Service and says, there's storms brewing and you may not be rooted enough to be ready for them. And so the the book of Hebrews is a sermon. It's one sermon. You think I preach long? The book of Hebrews is one sermon. It's probably the greatest sermon ever delivered. But we don't know who delivered it. It might have been Apollos. He's the leading candidate, in my mind, having studied it. But we don't know. The sermon is giving the fledgling church, although it was established for 30 years, it wasn't so fledgling, 
at the time, the church, there were individuals who were dropping out of the church and going back into Judaism. They were leaving Christianity. And, and the, 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 the preacher is proclaiming in light of the fact that now Nero was in power. If you, can't, if you couldn't hold on in the past couple of decades, it's going to get really, really difficult to hold on in the coming decades unless you are rooted and grounded in your faith in Christ Jesus. If we go back in time to the time of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was facing kind of the same situation, same scenario. We're facing the same time now. If we think it's going to get easier being a Christian than it already has been, we are sadly mistaken. If you're paying any attention at all to what's happened politically, what's happening internationally, what's particularly happening in Canada in the whole moral social construct, it is not getting easier to be a Christian. So if you are struggling to hold on to Christ now, you're not in good shape for the future. If you're, taking, if you're taking time off, spiritual time off now, you're not going to be rooted and ready. When we open up Jeremiah 12 and we find this, you are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. Jeremiah compliments the Lord and then he questions the Lord. It's kind of good salesmanship, but I'm not sure the Lord really likes it that way. Yet... I would speak to you about your justice. <laughs> Can you imagine? The puny prophet. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? <laughs> Have you not wondered about that too? Why do all the faithless live at ease? Wow, he's in a long line of people who've asked these questions. David asked these questions. Habakkuk has asked these questions. Jeremiah now asks these questions. Rick has asked these questions. You have planted them. They've taken root. They grow. They bear fruit. They drive a big Lexus and they go to Tahiti every year. <laughs> you are always on their lips, but kind of only as a curse because their hearts are far from you. Yet you know me, O oh Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. And so he has a solution. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and the birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. How many times have you looked around and said, God can't possibly be looking at what's going on? If he was looking at what's going on, if he could see all this mess and these people and how good it is for them, and if he was looking at me and seeing how troubling it is for me, he'd pick me up. Why is he picking me up? He, he must not be able to see what's going on. And so there Jeremiah lays it out before the Lord, the lamentation prophet now, we're expecting God to say, oh, Jeremiah, come near and let me give you a big hug. You, you just need a hug today, Jerem. God answers, Jerry? I think that's what he said. Jerry, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you're standing here whining before me today, Jeremiah, in times like these when it's not such a big deal, what in the world are you going to do when it gets really, really bad? <laughs> that wasn't what Jeremiah was expecting to hear from the Lord. If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan or the jungle by the Jordan River. Now, those of you who've traveled in the, the East, Mid, Middle East, 
You say, there's no jungle around Jordan. Well, there once was. Men and women have a habit of cutting down trees. There were lions and hyenas and all kinds of nasty things in those jungles. And he's saying, Jerry, look, what if I ask you to go and minister in the jungle by the Jordan? You're whining and lamenting and moping around here. And God says the same thing to us. There's so many people who are cutting out of church saying, oh, church was a disappointment. I'm so discouraged. God doesn't know my deal. He's not helping me. He doesn't care about me. I'm just going to take off. And you know what? Rather than give you a group hug or a big hug, God says, are you serious? If you can't handle it now, it's going to get worse. So what do we do about that? We better shore ourselves up for what's about to come. We better, we better do a real deep look into the mirror and see what's happening in our heart because maybe, just maybe, we're not ready for what's yet to come. Barna, Barna Research suggests that in every church, 50% of the people in that church don't even belong to Jesus. I, I can't even imagine that being a true stat of our church, but what if it is? I, it's unthinkable for me, emotionally unthinkable for me. Emotionally, I'm unable to deal with the possibilities that, that half of you would go into lostness for eternity. But it may be that you haven't been paying attention to the real state of your heart. And we're going to do that over the next number of weeks. And we're introducing it today with some signs from Jeremiah. Signs that will help us to take a look at our own life and make sure that we're not a candidate for defecting from the faith. Because there are signs that you are close our Father, as we dig into this now, I just pray that you would uh, help us to be honest, transparent. You do see. There's nothing you don't see. You see exactly what's going on. You've not lost your capacity for righteousness or justice or mercy or grace. You are the same today and yesterday and forever. You are the same God of Jeremiah the God of the uh, people at he, uh, of the Hebrews in, in Rome, you are, you are our God. Lord, nothing surprises you. Uh, nothing has changed. Things are looking bad. And Lord, you have given us every reason to trust and have faith in you and believe that we can stand. So I pray, oh God, that we will. But would you use your word today to do its penetrating work right through the bone, right to the marrow, that we will not fool ourselves any longer about who we are. For I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In Jeremiah chapter 13, the uh, Lord, the Lord gives some warnings. But before we do that, I want to back up for a moment. And just set the table for the likelihood of defection. Now, I want to be really clear in case some of you out there are thinking Rick has taken a theological about face. We've always been taught by him and he's shown us in the Bible that once you have come to a personal life-transforming relationship with the living Christ, you will persevere and you will finish the race with Christ, in Christ, and with Him forever. I have not changed because the Bible's not changed. That's the truth. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior here this morning, he will never leave you or forsake you. You will never lose him, and he will never lose you. So what are we talking about then? I mean, how does this then have any critical impact to us? How does the whole book of Hebrews have any critical impact to us if 
well, it doesn't matter, we can't lose this thing anyway. Well, it's really about the statistic that I gave you. It's really about the question about whether, what we were or who, in fact, we were converted to. Let me explain to you. Um, the likelihood of defection or leaving the faith is, um, is targeted to these types of people. One, a person who was a consumer of Christian goods and services rather than a convert from idols to Christ. What do I mean by that? There are a lot of people who are converted to a church or they're converted to a style of music or they're converted to a preacher or they're converted to a group of people or a social network or they're converted to a culture or custom of religion and not converted to Jesus Christ. They populate our churches. It's highly possible that, that some of you here today are converted to goods and services that are delivered by Calvary Baptist Church, but not to Jesus Christ. You've never turned from the idols of church, the idol of music, the idol of a preacher, the idol of a social network to Jesus Christ. It shows up when times get tough, when disappointments come. There's also a social theory that I want to share with you. And the social theory is this, that people are satisfied with their relationships when they get rewards that they feel are proportionate to the costs that they invest in that relationship. That's why so many marriages break up. They go in with the, un, the, the unrealistic expectation that I am going to get more out of this relationship than I invest in it. And as soon as I stop getting more rewards for my investment, or at least proportionate to my investment, I'm walking away. This social contract many have made with the Lord. They've, the reason you're never going to hear me preach this, I trust, if I am, it's because my sugar is low and someone should come up and take me off the platform. I am never going to preach this to you. Come to the Lord and He will make you healthy. Come to the Lord and He will make you wealthy. Come to the Lord and He will give you that job of your dreams. Come to the Lord and life will suddenly be a Disney world for every day from here on until he takes you to glory. I'm never going to preach that because that's not the gospel. That's preaching a Christian goods and services message and people convert to their idol and not to Christ. Because the truth is, if Jesus were preaching the sermon, he would say, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What part of that sounds like Disney World? Deny yourself, take up an implement of execution of your life, and follow me. People defect and drift away because they are converted to an idol, not to Jesus. They also drift away because they're addicted to reason rather than learning to live by faith. Now, our faith is reasonable. But the righteous shall live by... Yes, faith. This is an interactive event, folks. When I pause and you know the answer, please feed it to me. If we don't learn to live by faith, 
we will not learn to live in Christianity at all. That's another whole sermon in the book of Hebrews. We'll get there. But isn't faith not what we can see, but what we hope for? Isn't it believing in what we hope for? Won't our faith become sight when we finally stand before Christ himself in glory? People who are addicted to reason and everything has to always be, make sense. I need the reason will bail from Christianity when the reasons are gone. And I can tell you that I'm looking out into an audience of people who for the most part get this. You have agonized through the dark nights of unreasonableness where what was taken from you, there seems to be no reason that could possibly make sense. And if you don't live by faith, you will not live at all. And the third is so many people are swamped by doubt, keeping their eyes fixed on circumstances and poor role models I can't tell you the number of people who have defected from church and their answer, reason to me was, Christians make me sick. And that pastor who turned into a hypocrite turned me away from the gospel. You know, I apologize for every one of us who have ever sinned and been nasty to you. But we've never been asked to look at people or pastors. We are to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who will never disappoint you, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you look at your circumstances and stare at role models, you will quit the faith. I know I could quit here because you kind of get it, but we really haven't looked much at the text. Here's the deal. There are four warning signs I want to give you very quickly that you may be an endangered spiritual species. That you might be an endangered spiritual species. There are warning signs. It doesn't happen immediately. It happens over time. And the first is this, found in the first 11 verses. God tells Jeremiah, Jerry, go get a linen belt. Now, for those of you who are textile people, you will say that isn't linen. Correct, it's cotton. Lynn wouldn't let me cut up any linen. <laughs> but this old t-shirt of mine, she had no problem with. The reason linen is important, and God told him get linen, linen, it matters. Linen is the garment of a priest. So go get to yourself, go get Jeremiah, a garment, a linen that you can tie around your waist as a priest of God would. And by the way, it's more, it's not really a belt as the NIV translates, more like a cloth, a waist cloth, which was more actually like the ancient's underwear. I was thinking to myself, though, you didn't want an underwear <laughs> demonstration today. Did I get that right? Yeah, I got that right. Yeah, I was thinking. So get this visual sort of out of your mind, but it's a, it's a good visual and important. And he says, tie it around your, tie it around your waist. And then he says, now I want you to untie it Take it off, and I want you to take it to your, Bible says Partha, but probably Euphrates, Euphrates River. I want you to take it to the Euphrates River, and I want you to bury it under some stones by the river. And I want you to go away, and 
says in the text that many days later he was to go back. God explains something very important about the visual of this linen cloth in verse 11. For as a belt is bound around a man's waist, so I bound the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor, but they have not listened. God says, I want you to get this visual in your minds and in your hearts. He uses this very important word, bound. I have bound my people around my waist. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 2.24 when a man will leave his father and his mother and be bound. See, Mr. and Mrs. Nick Wagner are here. Bound to his wife. Remember we talked about this? Leave, cleave. It's the cleave word. It's a marriage metaphor. God is using the most intimate of illustrations to say, do you know the status? Do you know how much I love you? Do you know what I do with my people? I tie them. I bind them around my waist. You can't get any closer than that word. But they would not listen. In fact, he says in verse 10, these wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them will be like this belt. He says, go back and get the belt. So after many days, Jeremiah went back and got the belt that he had buried under the rocks by this river bank. And now it looked like this. It was wet, soggy, and dirty. Who wants to bind that around them? Idols, you wouldn't listen. So this first sign that is given to us by the Lord is a sign whereby you continue to allow other things to interfere with God things, disloyalty to God. It has to do with our choices. He said, I, I, I had you bound around me, but you decided to unbind yourself and pollute yourself and become dirty, chasing after other things. How much time are we spending these days making those kind of choices whereby we are deciding whether to do what we're pretty certain God wants us to do, but this is what we really want to do? I think those decisions are being made every Saturday night. Should I go and celebrate my salvation with the people, with the company and congregation of God, or should I... Goof off on Sunday, doing what I want. Should I take the money that God has given to me and should I invest it in the kingdom of God or should I invest it in the toys that I'd rather have? Should I unbind myself from the Lord with my talents and my gifts and my abilities and use them, squander them, do nothing with them? Or should I invest the best of what God has given to advance the kingdom of Christ. That's the question that's being asked. Those are the choices that we're making. Are we choosing idols or are we choosing God? You're in danger of defecting. If you are regularly, if you are regularly regularly allowing things to be your go-to choice rather than God. If God is being displaced, uh, it's, just, it's just next Sunday. We, we'll just do it next Sunday. 
And then the next week rolls around. You know what? Wouldn't you know it? Um, man. Let's do it this Sunday too. And we start to unbind ourselves from God. This isn't about legalism. This is about choices to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He goes on to say um, in verse 13, uh, then tell them, this is what the Lord says, I am going to fill with drunkenness all who live in this land, including the kings who sit on the David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all those living in Jerusalem. In other words, um, they don't want to live godly lives. They don't want to live with the spirit of the influence of the spirit of God. So I'm going to give them over to another influence in their lives. By living like the lost, you lose your spiritual sensitivity. Here's what's happening. Uh, this idea of drunkenness is a metaphor, not for drinking. It's not so much about drinking. Uh, the issue here isn't about drinking alcoholic beverages. It's about the results of drunkenness, which are stupor. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know right from wrong. You, you're not sure what you're supposed to do. It's, you're in a fog. You're in a daze. And God is saying, if you don't want me then I will fill you with what you want, but it will cause you to be in a spiritual stupor. I'll give you drunkenness. And by the way, drunkenness was the symbol of Canaanite worship. That's what they did. They got drunk. And so he's really saying to them, if you want to live like the Canaanites, if you want to live like the people of the world, if you want to live worldly life and cut yourself loose from me, every choice that you're making is I'm choosing against God and I'm choosing for me, then I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to fill you with drunkenness. God fills us what we, with what we want. That's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians said, do not be filled with wine wherein is excess. Don't live that way. Rather be filled with the Spirit. This is a question of a choice day by day. Do I want to be filled with the Spirit or do I want to live like the world? Do I want to cut myself loose from God or do I want to be filled with God? That's the question. That is set before us. You see, um, we won't take the time, but in Jeremiah 2, 5, and 6, uh, they didn't even notice the presence of God anymore. It, it's, it's highly possible. Let me, let me say something to you. It's highly possible that you could be coming to church every week. Let, let's take the opposite scenario. It's highly possible you could be coming to church every single week. You could be in a discipling community you could be giving to the Lord. You could be serving in brigade. You, you might even be a staff person at Calvary. Because, by the way, two-thirds of all leaders in church who started out following the Lord don't finish following the Lord. That's a staggering reality. You could be that. And actually be filled in this illustration with drunkenness because in truth you can't even feel God anymore you have you're you're in a stupor you come to church you sing the songs you go to the discipling community you go serve somewhere you give your offering and you feel nothing when was the last time that your heart was moved by God, that you, that you were aware of the encounter of his presence, where he moved you to say no to that, no, and say yes to that, to, to be moved by the things that move him and broken by the, the things that break his heart. When was the last time you felt anything? There are a lot of people in churches who really, they, they want to become spiritual cutters because they haven't felt God in so long. 
There's something wrong. It may be that you've been chasing after all kinds of other things on the side, living like the world, or maybe as we come to the next in three, verse 17, I will weep in secret because of your pride. You regularly are using the glory of God to promote yourself or your group. Listen, uh, the sin of Satan is pride. It, it, it took him down. It will take you down. It, it's the big sin of the unhealthy church is using Jesus for our own glory. It's, it's the danger of social media today. It's, it's be very careful that there's a thin line between... Uh, Telling people about the great things that God has done for you and telling people about the great things you're doing for God. And it's a fine, fine line between people and churches and promotion and all that goes on. Hey, look at us and look at how great I am. And, and, and sometimes we are taking upon ourselves what rightfully belongs to the glory of God alone. It's a danger. Be careful. Be careful. We deceive ourselves. Let me ask you something to test your own heart. How defensive do you get if someone, some brother or sister challenges you spiritually? Or how offended are you when your efforts go unnoticed? For the Lord. Hey, I served in VBS this summer. Not one single person came and thanked me. I don't condone that. I, I, don't, I hope that doesn't happen at Calvary. But surely you didn't do VBS so that some human would thank you, did you? Or how hurt are you when you're look, overlooked for something? Someone else gets to do it. Or someone else is complimented on how well they do the same thing you do, but you aren't. Pride sits waiting to pounce on us and to take us down and defeat us. And finally, in verse 21, or sorry, verse 22, and if you ask yourself, why has this happened to me? It is because of your many sins that your skirts have been torn off and your body mistreated. The fourth possibility is you aren't caught occasionally by sin, but you are actually living in sin and shameless rebellion against God. Listen, being saved doesn't mean you never sin. Anybody who says, the Bible says, anybody who says they don't sin is a liar and the truth is not in them. It says if we confess our sins, so that means we must be sinning, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, Christians sin. But what Christians don't do is continue to live in sin. Christians won't do that. And, and there are, are many people who are sitting in our churches day in, day out, living in the same sin over and over and over and over again. And doing nothing about it. No repentance. Just living in sin. Now, listen... It, that's impo it's impossible to be a child of God and be allowed to live in sin because whom the Father loves, He disciplines like a, a good earthly father. They're going to learn that in Hebrews as well. John writes in 1 John chapter 3, anyone who keeps on sinning is, is, is kidding themselves. The truth is not in them. They are living in darkness. And so Jeremiah, or the Lord, concludes this at, the, at verse 27, at the end of this chapter, and he asks this hard question, how long 
will you be unclean? How long? How long will you be unclean? I can't put you on. What's the answer? What's the solution? What's the strategy? Uh, our strategic plan as a church to the ever-present and constant ever-present danger of defection is discipleship. It's discipling people. It's making disciples. It's why discipleship matters because we at times have such a thin grip on our, our faith and on, on Christ. It requires of all of us to look at them in the mirror and to look at these things and say, am, am I drifting into idolatry? A am I drifting into sinfulness? Have I lost the sense of spiritual awareness and, and the fullness of the Spirit? Am I full of pride? What is going on in my life? It, it, it requires an intentional approach to disciple-making that we work with each other, that we check on each other, that we keep this constant and consistent commitment to intentionally being made into disciples. That's what it takes. That's why around here we have a strategy of one, one, one. It's, a, it's for spiritual health to make sure that uh, uh, we have a worship experience we celebrate the culmination of a week of worshiping of serving God of saying no to idols and yes to Jesus we come once a week together and celebrate together that's our worship time to intentionally come and listen to God and learn uh, what he has to say and then we connect with each other because we intentionally believe that we need to take what we have learned and teach each other how to really listen to God's word because listening to God's word means we obey God's word or we're not listening to God's word and we share with each other the application what does this mean what choices are you making what choices are you making to, to go this way instead of that way to choose that instead of God we come together and make sure we connect so that we learn how to latch on to our Christ rooted deeply in Christ so that when the storm blows we are going to stand and not defect and then we reach out we love on others we take that the glory of God and we make his name renowned that's what he says. That's in Jeremiah 12 what he says that he, he's longing for or looking for. Sorry, in 13. To be my people for my renown and praise and honor. That's what we do. So let me close it up this way. Why don't you just bow your heads? Would you please with me this morning? I'm not sure as the mirror of God's word was put before you what you saw. But if you have found yourself regularly making the choices to choose other things to displace what used to be God's territory in your life, or, or maybe you say, you know what, I, I feel spiritually nothing I come to church I come to discipling community I feel nothing I haven't felt anything from God and I can't tell you how how long or maybe you are one of those who says yeah you know what I, I think I probably got a lot of pride going on in my life because every every question you asked I, I find myself really offended by this or upset by that or frustrated by that and I guess really I'm not living much for the glory of God. Or maybe you have been living in sin. Nobody knows about it except for you and God. You've been hiding it really well, coming to church looking pretty good, but you're actually living with the same sin over and over again. Listen, that can all change today. It has to change today. It has to change. If you really belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, it has to change. Or, or maybe you don't belong to him, but today you want to belong to him. Listen, here's, here's all I'm going to put is this out. I'm going to say, listen, if it is your desire to simply state, I want to recommit myself to being permanently bound around the waist of my God, and I'm going to ask you to stand where you are, 
You don't stand because other people do. I mean, this is a real moment of commitment in your heart. You say, listen, I, I, I've got something or whatever. I, I just know that I'm going to stand for Christ. I want to stand up and serve him with all of my heart. This is not a decision necessarily first time for Christ. This is saying, look, I, I, count me in. I'm fully loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. You stand where you are. Not because anybody else stands, but just because don't compound your problems by lying to the Lord. This is a moment of, hey, I'm going to make, with God's help, I'm going to make some changes in my life that, that I need to make. Father, I pray today in this hour of decision that you would invade our hearts with a new freshness because there are perilous days ahead. And if we can't run with the men who we are walking with, how will we race when it's against the horses? If we can't stand when it's good, how will we stand when it's tough? So, Lord, to you alone we offer ourselves as linen waistcloths, no longer and not wanting to be completely useless, Lord, but rather to be useful to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we all face circumstances in life. Belonging to myself or belonging to God. And the most important decision that you will ever make in your life is to whom do you belong? I don't know about you, but I want to be bound around the waist of the one who died for me. And I don't want to let anything get in the way of that. If you have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior today, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to speak to you and pray with you here. Or if you just simply need to pray with us, Pastors will be here at the front of the church. Father, God, we thank you so much for your truth, for your patience, your love, your forbearance, and oh God, how you love us. You bind us to you. And how regularly we try to get unbound, oh God, forgive us. We want to be bound to you, the Savior, the one who died for us, the one who loves us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.